We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of We Saved You a Seat. Today's guest is my dear friend, Crystal Longoria. She and I instantly bonded, uh, I guess a little over seven years ago, when her son happened to be in the NICU. Um, While I've known Crystal... Um, for such a long time, and I know we could have hours and hours worth of discussions over NICU. I've asked her here today to really kind of highlight and emphasize some of her experience with um, trachs and G-tube and just her journey as a mom in that area of her life. Uh, So, but before we jump into all of that, I definitely want her to introduce herself. So Crystal, why don't you share a little bit about yourself and your family and let's just kick it off that way. Okay. I am Crystal Longoria and uh, my husband Ben and I have been married 15 years. I have two stepkids. They're twins, uh, Josh and Megan, and they are going to be 21 in just a few days. So um, one of those milestone birthdays. And then we have Declan, uh, who is seven years old now. Um, He turned seven in November. He is our, our, our NICU baby. When I was pregnant with him, um, I got really sick. I had preeclampsia and uh, ended up in the hospital on bed rest. We were hoping to stay in the hospital on bed rest for several weeks. It ended up being five days um, because my preeclampsia turned into help syndrome. Declan had to be had to be born by C-section, and that was the beginning of our NICU journey. But today, um, Declan is in first grade. He is so full of joy. He is just the happiest kid that I know. Um, He wakes up going 100 miles an hour and smiling the entire time and, uh, (laughs) and crashes at night. But yes, he is so full of joy and um, laughter and um, all the all the good things. Not that he doesn't have some moments of not joy, but uh, but, <laughs> but primarily he's a very very happy kid. As as do all first graders, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I fully get that. <laughs> um, yeah, Declan even uh, met me on the Zoom meeting this morning. He wanted to be sure and say hi. So he is very much your social butterfly and uh, he is such so much fun and such a delight to be around. And, and I actually have missed seeing him through this COVID, just not getting to spend time with him. So I really missed him. Tell us a little bit about, um, you said he was born early. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how early he was, uh, a little bit about his weight and all of that, and kind of maybe a piece of that where how long you had to wait to hold, you know, those kind of things. I know that we've got a lot of yeah. families that would like to hear some of this. Yeah. Um, so Declan was born at 25 weeks and three days. He weighed a pound and eight ounces. 
you know, at, at the beginning for all kids, I think that are, that are born that early, you know, those, those first few hours and days are real critical um, to, to the child and to figuring out, you know, what are, what are all of the, you know, issues that we're going to particularly have to deal with, with this child. And I mean, within, within hours, I think of his birth, we figured out that, that he was really struggling with his lungs in particular. I was in the hospital long enough that I got the steroid shots and all of those things to try to help his lungs, but he was, he was really struggling with his lungs. Um, so he was on an oscillator, which is the most high powered ventilator that there is. Um, and on, you know, some of the highest settings that he could be on. So it was clear from the beginning that that was really going to be his struggle. And because he was on that oscillator, that prevented us for quite a while from getting to hold him. It's just one of those things where it's not real safe to hold him when he's on that really high powered ventilator. Um, so it was 36 days before we could hold Declan. And it just, man, it seemed like such a long amount of time. I remember trying to shift my focus onto what I could do, not what I couldn't do. So I couldn't hold him, but I could, you know, put my hand in his isolate and hold his hand or touch his feet or do the where you hold their head and you hold their feet and um, just kind of makes them feel secure. Yeah. And so I tried to focus on those things that I could do, but you know, as a mom, your instinct is to hold your baby. And um, we couldn't do that for 36 days. I know that you have shared in the past with other moms that something else you could do was provide uh, part of your milk supply for him. And so why don't you talk a little bit about maybe your pumping process and maybe some of the struggles or emotional piece to pumping all the time versus the opportunity to breastfeed, but being able to supply milk for your baby. Um, so when Declan was born so early, um, I remember having a C-section, coming back to the room um, and laying there and thinking, you know, I mean, you're just in shock from everything. Um, but the nurse that I had that night, she asked if there was anything I needed. And I said, I need a pump. And so she went and got a pump and brought it in there. And, <laughs> and I hadn't seen a, you know, lactation consultant or anything at that point. And I was like, I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> and uh, my nurse that night was like, well, I don't either, but we'll try to figure it out. Her and I tried to figure it out that first night and uh, <laughs> I'm sure didn't do everything right, but um, hopefully, you know, my body got the, the right signals. At the beginning, when I started pumping, you know, the amount of milk that I was getting was so small and was very discouraging to me. And again, I still hadn't talked to a lactation consultant. So, you know, I didn't know what was normal and what was not, and I was just winging this thing. 
a friend of mine uh, put me in touch with a Facebook group about exclusively pumping um, other moms that just, just pumped. They didn't um, nurse, they just pumped. And so I got onto that group and um, I don't even remember who it was, but somebody in that group said, um, you know, your body knows that you've had this tiny baby. And so your body knows that you're, you don't need to make this huge amount of milk because it knows that you've had this tiny baby. To me, that was very encouraging um, that maybe I wasn't completely failing at this <laughs> pumping thing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I kept at it and my milk supply kept increasing. And I think it kept increasing for, man, I think like three or four months. I just kept getting more and more every week, every pump until I was kind of what I would call a typical amount. So I was thankful that Declan never needed uh, donor milk, um, although I had agreed to donor milk if, if mine had not been enough, but we never needed donor milk and he just was able to have my milk um, for a long, long time. Um, I ended up pumping for about 18 months. Um, so he got, he got a lot of milk. <laughs> Right. So, so I think this will transition us into our next piece of the conversation, but you pumped for, you said 18 months. Is that what you said? Uh -huh. so 18 months of pumping and he never, he never went to breast. So he never actually breastfed or nursed um, from you. Tell us a little bit why he didn't. Um, yeah, he, it was, that was honestly part of my, um, you know, part of my motivation to keep pumping was I hoped that eventually he would be big enough and strong enough and all of those things to, to be able to nurse. But that didn't happen for us, mostly because of um, lung issues. Um, so he was on ventilators for such a long amount of time. When he finally did get to the point where he was not on a ventilator, he was on a more like a CPAP machine. He was on that for a while and some of the some of the medical people started working with him on taking a bottle and things like that. And so I thought we were making progress in that direction. But then he had a, a big setback and was back on the ventilator. And as it would turn out, um, we didn't know at the time, but as it would turn out, he would be on that ventilator for quite a while. So when, when a baby is on a ventilator and when they, when they are intubated, you know, they have that breathing tube down their, down their throat, down their mouth, and it, it is impossible for them to, for them to nurse. And even once we, you know, progressed past that point and everything, this still the ventilator, when the ventilator is controlling your breathing, that whole suck, swallow, breathe <laughs> rhythm that a baby has to get in order to nurse, they can't get that if there is another machine that is doing the breathe part. It's just not possible for them. So it, so nursing was not in the cards for us. So you mentioned that he was on a ventilator for, um, I guess you, you saw the progression from the um, oscillator to a conventional vent, to the CPAP, 
then did he ever do just the oxygen, um, the, the low flow or anything like that? No. Okay, so he never did that, but then he went back to a vent, which that, is, that describes a whole lot of families um, in an NICU environment where you have those really highs and really lows. Um, before we go on, I know you never really like to share the statistic with people uh, just because you don't want to scare families for being in the NICU for so long. But before we kind of move on, I just want to kind of set the stage for how long you guys were in the NICU before y'all were transferred out. And we'll get to that piece in a minute. But how long were y'all in the NICU? We were there for 303 days, which was just short of 10 months. Wow. Okay. So 303 days being in the NICU. During those 303 days, oscillator, ventilator, conventional vent, uh, CPAP, and then back onto a conventional vent. You, I know there were some things that y'all and decisions y'all had to make at some point because he had been on a ventilator and on respiratory support for so long. What were some of those things and how did doctors approach you and, and kind of tell us a little bit about that journey and trying to make some decisions that um, ultimately uh, took him through uh, just a lot. So anyway, I, did, I, want, I want to hear your words because from a parent's perspective, there's, there's no better words. So I, I just, I want your perspective and your, your thoughts. Yeah. So um, I think it was when he first got onto the CPAP so he was extubated and, and put on this CPAP. And it, he, was, he was really really struggling at first just on the CPAP. Um, it was very challenging for him. Very, he was really working on breathing a lot. And one of the doctors uh, came to me and, and you know, kind of had a quick conversation and said, you know, we're not to that point yet, but you know, in the, down the road, that a tracheostomy might be something that, that we would have to consider for Declan. When he talked about it, um, you know, he made it sound like it was a very, um, just a very simple, no big deal type of thing, you know? <laughs> and then of course, you know, I did a little bit more research and I, and I was just like, whoa, I, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> Um, a casual mention of something and then it's like, oh, big, ooh, that's a little bit bigger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, it was, uh, it was kind of a, a shock to me, um, to us personally, me and my husband, you know, we were like, wow, okay. Um, so we're really um, having this conversation about, you know, this, this is a much more long-term conversation about lung issues than what we were thinking of as lung issues. So that was the first time that a trach was mentioned to us. That same doctor put him on a long course of steroids to try to kind of get him over the, over the hill, so to speak, of these lung issues where he could really start making some progress. Declan and his little body, everybody is different, but Declan's body responded really well, really fast to the steroids. So he made rapid improvements over the next few weeks. 
so we didn't have any more conversations about trakes or anything like that because you know all of a sudden we're we're making fast progress um and it was you know really encouraging and i thought wow we're really we're really doing this you know you if you've been in the NICU long enough you hear other families and you see other stories and you know that for a lot of those kids there comes a, a point where they kind of turn the corner and then they just kind of take off and they're doing really well um and and I kind of felt like okay we've kind of turned the corner and we're we're doing really well and um <laughs> it was really kind of all the steroids um, and it was not really the lungs. Uh, so when we came to that end of that long course of steroids um, is when he ended up back on the ventilator. Um, once we were back on the ventilator, then the doctor said, okay, I, you know, I think that this is something that's gonna be more long-term. So I think that you probably need to talk to an ENT. We can bring in an ENT and you can talk to him about, um, about getting a, a trach. We were very discouraged. There were lots and lots of tears because I knew how much time that would extend out that we would be in the hospital. Yeah. Whew, even, even six years later, seven years later, we're you still, the emotions are still there and just, yeah, they're still there. It's, it's like yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Talk about this and experience it and all of that. Yeah. Oh, going. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we talked to an ENT. Um, the ENT was so kind and um, so informative um, for us. You know, he talked about the surgery and what it would entail. It really is, as surgeries go, it really is a pretty minor surgery that is a very common surgery done lots and lots of times. And so um, in that regard, that made us feel a little bit more comfortable because, you know, he, this ENT had done this so many times. So that was good. I remember the thing that kind of changed our perspective, I think, was when he, he was talking to us and he said, you know, at this point, he said, you're really talking, this is really a quality of life decision. You know, Declan at this point was about five months old and he was, you know, there were, he was, he was a typical little newborn baby, you know, and he wanted interaction and he wanted to play and he wanted, you know, he wanted to do all this stuff. Well, you can't do all that when you're intubated and on a ventilator. What a trach does is allows him to still be on the ventilator, but the ventilator attaches to the trach in his neck. So there's nothing on his face um, or anything like that. So he can still he can still have a good quality of life. He can still play. It's much easier to hold him and to move him around and he can move around and all of those type of things um, while still being on a ventilator. You know, when we really thought about that and thought about the developmental advantages that, that that came with that, I think that was the big deciding factor for us. 
I was going to say, it sounds like he, once he received that surgery, there were things that, that physical therapy could step in and start doing with him as far as having him sit up and, um, you know, do some different things that inside the, uh, the area, the crib, I guess, in the NICU that maybe he hadn't had the opportunity to do prior to that. Yes. Yeah. That's great. So we're going to, let's stay on this topic because I really want people to kind of see the progression of this. You actually, here we are seven years later. Is he still on a, on a, uh, does he still have the trach? He does not. Okay. So he has no trach at this point. Walk us through the last several years. So he did not go home from the hospital or from the NICU. He did not go home. He was discharged to a different uh, facility at that point where they were able to manage some of the healthcare and the trach um, settings and all of that. So kind of walk us through a little bit of from the NICU, which that's like six years worth of time that, you know, but walk okay. us from the NICU until kind of the kind of not have the trach anymore as dependent, I guess. Yes. Um, so yeah, we, so about halfway through our, our NICU journey is when we got the trach. And at that point we knew we were going to have to go to a rehab hospital, um, after the NICU. So it, we kind of started the process in the NICU of working our way to the rehab hospital. There's a difference in ventilators. So the conventional ventilator that he was on in the NICU is different than what they call a home ventilator. Um, so they make home ventilators that are, you know, they do all the same things, but they're just not quite as powerful. Um, so he had to work his way down um, to the settings that he could be on on a home ventilator. So that took us the rest of the five months to, you know, kind of make very slow progress of getting back to that, to where he was, um, okay being on the home ventilator. So once we got on the home ventilator and once he was stable on it for a couple of weeks, then we could finally transfer over to the rehab hospital. And at the rehab hospital, I remember when we got there, virtually it was set up in units. So um, the unit that we were in had eight or 10 other kids um, in there. And I remember walking into that unit and every single kid had a trach. And I was like, wow, these, these people really know trachs and these vents. And I mean, it was clear from the beginning that they were really experienced with kids like Declan and, you know, and, and their whole purpose, this rehabilitation hospital, their whole purpose was getting them to a point where they were weaned off a lot of this stuff and could go home. Um, it was very clear that they had a lot of experience in doing this. They had done this lots and lots of times. So um, I felt very comfortable with Declan there. So we got there and we would spend, uh, Declan would spend the next 14 months at that rehab hospital. So the, the progress he made there was just gigantic. When he got there, he was on the ventilator. He was on oxygen. He was on probably 12 or 13 different medications. He was steroid dependent, which was a big deal uh, for him. We had tried several times in the NICU to get him off the steroids and that just had not worked. 
So we had this long list of medications and this very, very fragile kid. I, I think the biggest thing for us was, was getting him off those steroids. So we did eventually get him off those steroids. And it seems like once he came off those steroids, everything else just kind of snowballed. I mean, we just got rid of one medicine after another. He weaned his way down on, on the vent settings. He finally got off the ventilator um, where he just had what's called a trach collar. So it just is, um, is a little piece that fits over the trach and it gives humidified air. Um, so it's not a vent, but it's just, um, okay. just kind of moisturizes the air that goes into the trach. So we made all of that progress in those 14 months so that when he did come home, he still had a trach, but he was not on a vent. And I think when he discharged, I think he was only on one medication. Wow. Yeah. It was huge progress. He's just a rock star when it came to um, his, the, re, the rehab piece to that. Yeah. Yeah. And he did, you know, I talked earlier about, you know, the, some of these NICU babies, they just seem to turn a corner and then just take off. And um, he did that too. It's just that his was when he was about 15 or 16 months old is when that, when that turn finally came. <laughs> it's powerful in, in any way about it. It's powerful because to know that he did 15 months of, you know, so much um, medical intervention, you know, to be able to get to the point where he was able to take that, everything that had built up to that point and then just turn and say, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to make all the progress in the world. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, I know that another piece that you, that you've shared in the past to Declan's uh, progress and rehabilitation and being able to get home and all of that um, was the G-tube. So I know that as a parent, that was another big conversation that you had while you were in the NICU was, okay, you know, I'm, I'm pumping, I'm doing all of my, the work that I can do. There are many things I can't do as mom. I can pump. I have pumped. I've continued to pump. I'm doing strong. But now we aren't taking bottles. We aren't having, you know, feeding by mouth or, you know, the progress that would come from there. So why don't you walk us through kind of that piece of your journey as well with Declan? Yeah, so because of all of his lung issues, it made it very difficult for him to learn how to eat. And, um, and then kind of on top of that, which happens to a lot of kids that are like Declan that have had so many interventions um, in their lives, um, he developed kind of an oral aversion where he didn't want anything up close to his mouth. That was kind of a, a, a place of trauma for him. So he didn't want anything up close to his mouth. So progression in eating, even if he had been off the ventilator, was going to be a very slow process. Um, because of that oral aversion. We had, you know, many conversations again with the neonatologists and about a G-tube. And um, there are kind of a couple of different options when it comes to a G-tube. There's, there's just a, a regular G-tube, which is a, a tube that goes from the outside of your body 
into his stomach. And that's as, I mean, that's, it's, it's very simple. That's all it is. There's kind of another kind that, that a lot of uh, preemies in particular will end up with, which is a G-tube, but with a fundiplication, which is where they kind of go in. It's a more, it's a, it's a bigger surgery. So they go in and they put in the G-tube, but they also kind of wrap the esophagus a little bit so that like babies that have reflux and things like that, that that reflux doesn't come up and they're aspirating that down into their lungs. Okay. So there's kind of two different options and we talked about those options a lot. Thankfully, Declan never had any reflux issues, you know, which is kind of a rare thing for, for a preemie. It's a rare thing for any baby to not have reflux. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so we ended up just doing the G-tube. Um, without the fundo that goes along with some of the others. Um, so we just had the G-tube. And again, it's a, you know, as surgeries go, it's a fairly easy surgery. So he had that done when we were about, I think it was about eight months into our NICU stay. And that one um, went very well as far as the surgery itself and everything. Uh, but the G-tube itself um, took a long time to, to kind of heal up and everything. And it's still, it just never quite got there. But eventually we got it to the point where, you know, it was, it was healed pretty good and stable and everything. And then we could put all of his feeds through that G-tube, um, which again meant that he didn't have to have anything on his face. So... If you don't have a G-tube, then most babies would have an NG tube, which is a tube that goes down through their nose and down into their stomach. Declan just hated that NG tube. I mean, he would work his little hands and try to get that NG tube out. And of course, at this point, he's eight months old. And even if you adjust for preemie, you know, he's a, he's a five-month-old, you know, he's and so... Everything. He's pulling and grabbing and, you know, and so he's pulling that NG tube out all the time and, you know, and then they have to put it back and it's awful. And, you know, so when he got the, the G tube, he was much more comfortable in that he didn't have that NG tube in his nose anymore. So now he finally, his face was totally clear, didn't have anything on it. And he was just much much happier, much more comfortable. <laughs> As I say, you, do you remember taking that picture without without the NG tube, you know, for the first time? It's like my baby's face is, yes. there's nothing there. Yeah, yeah. You could kind of finally see what his little face looked like. And uh, yeah, it was a big deal. I, I agree. It's a powerful moment when when the, the face becomes tubeless. So, um, so yeah. Um, okay, again, he's seven years old. Does he still have a G-tube? He does not. He does not. Walk us through the process because I know that that in itself was also because we talked about the oral aversion and all of that that's kind of created as a result of some of the trauma that happens in the, uh, to the baby uh, while they're in there in the ICU. And so Kind of talk us through some of the therapies that kind of got him to the point where you no longer need the G-tube. So we, um, 
so we got the G-tube and um, I was really thankful that um, our NICU continued with just a little tiny bit of, um, of food with him. He couldn't really coordinate that suck, swallow, breathe because he was still on a ventilator. So he couldn't do bottle feeding, but we got to where we started mixing um, my breast milk with a little bit of like cereal. And so we would mix up just a tiny amount, you know, like, um, I mean, just like a, maybe a teaspoonful or less, half a teaspoonful, tiny amount, but he enjoyed it. Hmm. So it was a big thing to me for him to at least keep that little tiny bit amount of food happening that he would put in his mouth and swallow down and that he enjoyed it because so much of an oral aversion, as I learned over the next few years, is, is building up a good relationship with food where they really like food to get past that oral aversion. So anything we could do to help him to like food, you know, we wanted to do. I was thankful the NICU let us continue just that little teeny tiny amount of stuff that we did with him every day. And then when we got to the rehab hospital, they um, did a swallow study to see if he was swallowing everything correctly. Because again, when you have all these interventions and everything, um, sometimes with these kids, if they swallow things, you know, it can go down the wrong pipe, like we would say, you know, and, um, and it can go into their lungs and they can aspirate. So um, a swallow study just kind of shows you where that food is going. So they did a swallow study and he passed the swallow study. Um, so then we just, we just kept working with that breast milk and cereal. And then we got little amounts of, of baby food, um, just the regular jarred baby food, you know, and tried to give him little pieces of that. And, and I remember really clearly the day that we were in the rehab hospital and I would feed him every day um, one of these jars, you know, and he would take two or three bites and that would be it. And then it was just like, you know, someone almost like flipped a switch or something. And one day he went through the whole jar and, and I even still have the jar. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> because he, you know, it was the first time that he ate a whole jar of baby food. Powerful moment. Yeah. And, um, so that, that was a big deal. So we kept, you know, kept going, kept progressing with, you know, him eating a little bit more and a little bit more of this baby food. Um, when we got home, um, we, we still kept going with that. And when we were in the rehab hospital, he had a speech therapist that worked with him and with me on feeding issues. So when we discharged to home, we still had a feeding therapist um, that would, for first feeding therapy, we've had lots of feeding therapists, like 10 or 12 of them now, but, <laughs> but the first one came into our home and, you know, just worked with him on, you know, again, continuing to kind of build this good relationship with food. And so we, we stayed in feeding therapy for a long, long time finally got him to the point where we weren't putting any food through his G-tube. 
Um, so he was eating all of his food, but all of his food had to be pureed. He had a real issue with textures. Texture, okay. Yeah, so um, he didn't have a problem at all with flavors. We could blend up virtually anything and he would eat it as long as it was blended. <laughs> so we blended up lots and lots of different foods for him and he would eat it all. And, um, and then again, just this last year, he had another light bulb moment. We got some Doritos and cause he had liked to lick the Doritos up until this point. And we got some Doritos and he ate, chewed up the whole bag of Doritos. <laughs> and we're like, what? What happened here? We have no idea what happened. Something, something in his little brain just decided, okay, it's okay to chew up food now. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with chewing. I'm good with yeah. chewing. So does he, does he stick to only Doritos now or does he chew up other foods? He chews up everything. <laughs> <laughs> he chews up everything. Last night he had part of a steak. He has really made a lot of progress. And, and I mean, I can imagine you as mom trying to make sure you've either got the magic bullet or, or you know, or, or making sure you've got those soft foods there with you for such a long time or the ability to make and puree the foods with you. So, you know, that's, that's quite the, um, I guess, the progress that he's made over the yes. last just even few months at this point. So... So it was, it was a really long journey. I think that he got rid of his trach when he was, I think about three and a half is when, um, is when he was decannulated and got rid of his trach, but he didn't get rid of his G-tube until just this past spring. So he was, you know, six and a half years old when we finally got rid of the G-tube. So it was, it was a long process. Now, have you had to give him um, medications? To kind of talk me through some of the medications because I know um, going through the G-tube medications are super easy to give, but now orally, when you do medications orally, there's a little bit of difference there. So talk me through that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big perk of a G-tube is, you know, you don't have to worry about them taking medications. You just put it through their G-tube and you're done. Um, so it was... Um, yeah, a big advantage there um, as far as medications go. So really before, before you can get rid of a G-tube, there are three things that you kind of have to prove, so to speak, before someone will kind of give you the approval to get rid of the G-tube. So they have to eat all their food orally. They have to drink enough water or liquid orally, and they have to take all medications orally. For us, you know, the food and the water, that wasn't as big of a deal. And he didn't regularly take any medications because now he doesn't have any medications that he takes at all. So he didn't take any medications regularly. So we were like, well, you know, we can't really pull the G-tube. And then if he gets sick, then he won't take any medicine. Then we're really going to be stuck. For a while, we just had this G-tube and we really didn't use it. And then last... Um, a, a little over a year ago, um, 
he got RSV. Mm. And that was our first RSV experience. And even at six years old, it was, it was kind of a doozy for him because of his lung issues. When he got RSV, we had to, he had to take an antibiotic. He had to eat and drink. He had to, you know, take Tylenol or ibuprofen or uh, Mucinex. Um, so all of these different medications and stuff. Um, and we even did a short course of steroids. So he had to take steroids too. So all of that he had to take orally. And I, I was kind of concerned. I thought, oh, is this gonna, is he, <laughs> is he gonna do okay with this? Right. Um, but he breezed through it. I mean, he took all of that medication orally. Some of it was kind of bitter and he, call, he calls it spicy. So if it was spicy medication, we had to like mix it with applesauce. But he took it all and, um, and we got through RSV. And so after that, you know, we were talking to our GI doctor and said, you know, man, if he can get through RSV and take all of his medications, I think we're done with the G-tube. Nice. Well, congratulations on that. Because I know that now once he got rid of the G-tube and combined with uh, the decanulization, de uh, he got to do something that he hadn't done up until he was a certain age. And, and um, I think that was kind of a whole perk of a, a bath and a pool and swimming and, uh, and taking him to the ocean and all of that. So yeah, so does he like water? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> he likes water on his terms. So he, he likes playing in it, you know, and we got um, like a, uh, a blow up pool for the backyard, you know, that's not very deep at all. And so he likes being in that and playing around and splashing and stuff. He gets a little more concerned if it's deeper water um, and he has no desire to go underwater. So. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um we're, we're planning on doing um, some swimming lessons and stuff um, this coming summer. We were planning on it last summer, but then, you know, COVID, so. COVID. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, Crystal, I, I could talk for hours with you, that is for sure. And obviously, Declan is a conversation that we could talk about and uh, we have so much more to learn about Declan and um, just what he's taught us as, as moms, you know, and, and I think that my heart really is that we're, we are two moms who've had NICU experiences. And I think you can actually agree with me because you have hosted several support groups for NICU moms. You have, you've been a very uh, important person in the life of a lot of people as you've held their hand through a lot of difficult times and surgeries and questions. And I know that you would be a great resource for any mom out there at any point in time. So I, I do want to thank you for that. Um, the name of this podcast, I, for some reason, this is just something that seems important for me to do, but the name of the podcast is We Saved You a Seat. And, you know, I know that you and I both agree, we save a seat for the NICU mom. It, it's just for some reason, our hearts, because of our experiences, 
and our journeys, we want any NICU mom to come and have a seat with us at our table. Let's talk about it. The emotions, the struggles, the hearts, the the good, the bad, the it, just all of it, because it, it's hard. It's hard to do alone, especially in this COVID time. Yes. So are there any other people in your mind right now and in your heart that you just say, you know what, I'm saving you a seat. Absolutely. Come join me. Find a seat and let's, let's talk. Is there anybody in your heart that you'd like to say, yeah, I've got a seat for you. Come sit with me. Well, I think my heart has, you know, not just been for NICU moms, but particularly those NICU moms that have those conversations about a trach or a G-tube. Um, you know, one of the one of the things when we were talking about all that with the neonatologists, you know, I asked them, I said, you know, is there another parent that I can talk to that has had this same experience? And when we were in the NICU, the doctor said, no, there's, there's not anyone else, you know? And so I felt very um, alone and isolated and uh, different and all those other NICU moms that were there with me because now all of a sudden we were on a journey that was totally different than any of theirs. So I remember at that point, you know, saying at some point I need to be that mom to somebody else that says, man, I need to talk to another parent about this trach or about this G-tube and that needs to be me. And yeah, and you have, you've been that mom to a lot of a lot of great moms out there. And I know that ultimately that is, that's the goal of Oklahoma Family Network, you know, to be able to provide a network of moms and dads and parents and you just, just others out there who can walk with another family through some of those very hard moments, whether it be making a decision or um, or, or just learning about it from a parent perspective, because we get a lot of information from doctors and nurses and, and, you know, and all of that, but to hear it from a mom that is living it or has lived it, just, there are no words that can really, I don't know, describe the difference that that can be, so. Yes. So thank you. Thank you for being that mom to many others. And uh, I know that as we continue our podcast opportunities that I, I know there's some other things on your heart that we'll eventually get to share about. And uh, hopefully we'll get a whole nother segment out of you at some point about Declan yeah. and some of his journey and, and things that you've experienced as a mom as well. So I definitely look forward to that. And uh, for now, I just want to say thank you for this opportunity to visit with us about the mom experience with the trach and the G-tube and, and we will get more from you later. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.